0: Alright, we're back. So we spent a year in New Bern, and uh, that, that year, man, it, it was, it, I say a lot of times it's the best year of my life. It's the best year for our marriage. It's the best year for our family. Uh, it, was just, it was just awesome. So in this, in this Passion for Planting program that I was in, what they had us do was write sermons for a church that we had never met. For people we had ne- I'd never even seen, I wasn't living in Jacksonville, but they want us to get to a point where we already had a few sermons written. The first sermon that we wrote was our opening day sermon, and we preached it in front of some peers, and they gave us some, some feedback and some critique and things like that. The second sermon that we wrote was for what you call a launch team. Now, launch team, some of you were a part of that. It was the group of us that existed before we ever had a Sunday morning service, before we launched. And it was the team that would get us to that point. And the guy that was leading it said to us, he said, I want you to write a a sermon for your launch team. With the anticipation that you're going to preach it twice within your first two years of existing. The first one is you will preach it to your launch team a few weeks before you launch. The second one, just let the Holy Spirit kind of feel that out. Let him plan it. So the sermon that I'm preaching to you this morning was written for you two years ago when you didn't know me and I didn't know you and Restore Church had a totally different name. You want to know what Restore Church's name was? No kidding. Catalyst Church. is that crazy? So we, we dodged one there, huh? So <laughs> that would have been a whole that would have been a whole headache. So uh, the Lord know, knows, knew what He was doing, and knows what He's doing, and uh, we're just glad to be all on the same team and being a part of the Kingdom of God. So this sermon I preached in front of twenty people uh, who belonged to Restore Church three weeks before we launched in a room that had more seats than these. And uh, or less seats than there, 200 seats, and try to preach to 20 people in a room of 200 seats. And I was so nervous because really it was Restore's first service. Um, and so uh, this sermon I'm preaching again at Restore for the second time in two years. Aaron and I moved into our house in 2011. It was a big deal for me, uh, and it's a big deal for anybody when you buy a home. It's yours. But it's a really big, like, monumental thing for us men. Here's the thing is when you, uh, when you rent, like, and there's a hole in the ceiling, I don't know how that would ever happen, but if there was a hole in the ceiling, you would just call someone to fix it, right? Someone else, it's someone else's problem. Uh, if the, the hot water heater goes out, it's not your problem, it's someone else's problem. But when you own a home, you own the home and its problems. It's like kids, kind of. Um, there's a lot of jokes to be had there. We're not doing them. So, uh, so we, we buy this house and, and it's an opportunity for me to show my wife just how manly I am. <laughs> I've done that. Not, okay. I meant, right, we got to get back on track. Carrying on. So there's this light that hung in our dining room. It hung right above our kitchen table. And every time, here's what's crazy about this light every time you walk into a room and you flip the switch, guess what would happen to this light? It would come on. And when you'd walk out of the room, if you flip the switch down, check out what the light would do, it would go off. Meaning there was nothing wrong with this light. It was perfect, it was great, it worked. And it was hanging by itself. My wife, who is the interior decorator designer, she deserves to be on HGTV or whatever fixer-upper show that exists. She, while we are walking through Lowe's, sees a light that she has to have and has to hang above the dining room table. And me, being the husband that I am, I'm like, yeah, baby, you do need that light. And you do need it to hang above the dining room table. And I'm going to hang it for you. She's like, oh, huh, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hang it for you. So we get home, and I take the, I take the light, and I toss it on the couch, and I'm just in conquer mode. All right, The first step is get this ugly, stupid, working light out of the ceiling. No problem. I got it. So I get on my ladder. I move the dining room table. I get on my ladder, and I take the light down. No problem at all. I go over and I grab the, the other light and I put it right in the middle of the floor and I just, you know, open it up. I'm taking stuff out, I'm throwing directions away because no one needs those. And then you grab the light, right, and you walk over. And Aaron's yelling down. She hears a bunch of ruckus and a lot of, like, grunting. And she's like, do you need help? You need me to call a doctor? Are you choking? No, I'm good. Good. You do whatever you're doing. I got the light. Well, after a little bit, uh, I only had one part left to do. See, here's the thing about this light. It had this, like, annoying little wire that came out of it, and this obnoxious, I don't know why they color the the screw green, um, but here's what I knew is that at the end of this, there was a squirrely little thing coming out of the light. That's the scientific term if you look it up. And a green screw. And I was like, okay, A plus B usually equals C. They need to connect. So I yelled for Aaron. Hey, Aaron, can you come help me just hold the light up while I connect uh, this stupid squirrely green wire to this green screw. Yeah, no problem. So she comes, I didn't tell her that part, I just said I need you to hold the light. And so she comes down, she climbs up one side of the ladder, I climb up to another side, and I'm like, yeah, she's going to be here to experience the hanging of her life. Awesome. We experienced something at the top of that ladder. <laughs> so I connected, I connect the, um, the squirrely little thing to the green screw And we, know, right in front of our face. Boom! And uh, we jumped down. I don't know if we were jumped down or if, like, the the energy forced us off the top of the ladder. And we're both standing at the bottom of the ladder just staring at each other like this. Erin's staring at me like that because she's like, Are you an idiot? Who hangs the light without turning the power off, stupid? She didn't have to say that. I could tell. I'm standing like that because my right arm feels like it's in a socket. Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. Great moments. Um, here, hanging this light in our home, uh, silly as it is, created this spark. What we know about this spark is it was big. It's right in front of our face. It was powerful. It's dangerous. And there's a lot of what could have happened that came along with that. Francis Chan writes this in his book, Forgotten God. Listen, listen to this. You can read with me on screen. He says: when I read the book of Acts, I see the church as an unstoppable force. Nothing could thwart what God was doing, just as Jesus foretold when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church was powerful, and it was spreading like wildfire, not because of clever planning, but by a movement of the Spirit. Riots, torture, poverty, or any other type of persecution couldn't stop it. And then he asked this question, isn't that the type of church, the type of church movement we all want to be a part of? Man, I've been in this like search for what church is for the last almost year now. And it has reshaped and remolded how I've thought about church for my entire life. And you know where the the most common text or the common book to go back and read about what God intended for the church? The Bible. The book of Acts. Because what we've boiled church down to is this is a Sunday morning event for an hour and a half, and I think that disappoints God to his very core for us to say that this is church. If you were with us last week, we said we're done calling this church. We're going to start calling this, as corny as it can be, and I'm, up, I'm open to suggestions for a better name, we're going to call this The Gathering, um, simply because that's what it describes. That's what it is, and Look, we're not going to give up on this. There's something powerful and meaningful when God's people who are all broken, they sit next to each other and they worship a perfect God. There's something special when God's people get together and they open up his word. And then they sit in his presence and say, Lord, repair me, restore me, fix me. And so we're, we're still committed to having a good gathering experience. But we we refuse For this to be all that there is. And when we read through the book of Acts, we don't see a Sunday morning experience called church. We see a movement called church. Don't you want to be a part of that? I do. I do. I want to be a part of a movement that was just like the book, just like in, in Acts. Acts describes a movement of disciples that turns the world upside down. I want to be a part of a group of people that's a light to a city that needs it. And because we change a city, we change a world. I want to be a part of a, of a movement where people's lives are changing and where they matter more than just the 80 years that we get if we're lucky. So, sparks, they can be powerful, they can be dangerous, uh, they can be huge. Hey, if you're going to hang a light, turn the power off first, okay, just for that. But for our sake, we want them. We want sparks. I'm going to ask you, man, would you, would you consider being a spark? All right, before we move on, I need to give you a little caveat. Obviously, I'm not an electrician. Duh. We got a few in our church, and I'm not one of them. Uh, I'm not a science teacher, and if I were to be a teacher, that would be the last thing I would teach. Uh, probably history or something like that. I like math. Like two plus two, that kind. Um, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a scientist. But what I am going to do is try to present to you two things that will always create a spark. And if we do them right, I think we can, we can change our, our city. Um, before, again, before we jump in, I, I, wanna, I just want to explain how this fits in our series. We're in a two-week series called Life is a Bee. And so last week was our first one. We, we talked about the church. Uh, I'm going to throw a slide up here. We're going to come back to it in just a second, um, where we, we reorganized and we're restructuring how we're going to do church. This whole thing is church. So if you say, I'm a part of Restore Church, be a part of Restore Church. Hey, if you just want to be a part of the gathering of Restore Church, that's fine. That's fine. But we're always going to encourage you to get into a life group. We're not calling them small groups anymore. Some of them are so small. We're going to call them life groups. Because that's what happens in these situations where you get uh, 12 people, 12 Christians who are like-minded, who want to seek God, who want to know what it is for for their life, for, for God to be involved. Life happens, and it breathes right there. Micro groups are a little bit smaller, a group of people who are dedicated to being together, holding each other accountable, checking on each other, and loving each other intently. And what happens is, if we get involved in this, we've created a rhythm, a rhythm of a disciple who can't help but to live their life loving God first and loving people second, and living it on purpose. So that's what we talked about last week and this week, uh, and, and that's what a follower of Jesus does. A follower of Jesus is a disciple, and they live their life on purpose. So this week, we're going to talk about how the individual can connect to the overall group and structure of the church. If you need a Bible, we'd love to pass one out to you. Uh, We'd love for you to have one. If you didn't bring one, uh, my man Daniel's got a few. um, And so throw your hand up. We'd love for you to have one. If you want to follow along with us in another way, you can follow along with us on the Restore Church app. We have our own app. That's where you can sign up for Flourish. So we can sign up for a small group next month. That's where you can get involved and learn more. Uh, the UVersion Bible app is available to you, and you can search the events section and Restore Church is there, or you can follow along with us on the screen. So the first element that we need to create a spark is we need a power source. We need a power source. Um, see, see this? Math. See math here? We're going to do science and math together and electricity, power. First thing we need for a spark is a power source. Hey, someone who's passing Bibles, could you bring me one? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. See, here's what happens at Restore we're a group of imperfect people (laughs) who are seeking God together, and you know you're a part of it when uh, the preacher forgets to bring his Bible up. It's a, bigger, it's a bigger danger if the preacher never preaches from the Bible. So wouldn't you rather me ask for a Bible than not preach from it? All right, thanks. One day I'm going to get smart and just copy and paste the verses into my notes right here. Oh, that's a good idea. All right. Hey, I want, I want you to follow with me for just a second. You, you don't need to read this. I just want you to listen. Because the question is that I'm going to ask us is where does our power come from? If we need power to create a spark, we need to know where it comes from. And so in in all today, we're going to go through the first four chapters of Acts really quickly. So I'm going to read from just uh, chapter one. And uh, when you hear the word, when you hear power, when you hear where the power comes from, just just shout, I've got the power. Okay, that will be fun. We'll find out where the extroverts are. Here we go. Acts chapter 1, it starts out like this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. I got the power. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for, my, for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of power there. Yeah, there's a lot of power there. I don't know if you caught this, but it starts off with a resurrected Jesus. A Jesus who was dead and then showed himself, and it says, uh, gave them many convincing proofs. He ate with them. It can't get any more real than that. He spoke with them. That's power. Now, that's an example of power, but that doesn't answer our question. The question is, where do we get power? Where does the power come from? Listen, if the resurrected Jesus... It is the example of power? Romans chapter ten tells us, or Romans chapter eight tells us where the power comes from. Listen, verse ten. See if you can see where the power comes from. Chapter eight, verse ten says this: um, But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse eleven. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The Spirit that rose Christ from the grave is the Holy Spirit that we talk about every week. And Romans says that that same Spirit lives in you as a Christ follower and a believer. Man, imagine that, having the same power that rose Jesus from the grave living in you. Acts chapter 1, keep listening. We're still asking the question, where does the power come from? Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but, listen, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. There's power. Where does the power come from? It's coming from the Holy Spirit in verse 8. There's another verse we're not going to read. I think you get the point where Jesus goes around and it says that he was Jesus is going around doing good and teaching, demonstrating the Holy Spirit and power. And they don't, you can't separate them, they go hand in hand. So where does our spirit, where does our power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit, very good, awesome. And so the first thing that we need for a spark is we're desperate for the Holy Spirit. Um, Man, when you read through the Bible, power is something that always shows itself. The very beginning of the Bible opens uh, opens up with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe the first five words of the Bible, the rest of it is cake. In the beginning, God created. And how did he create? He spoke things into being. He said, let there be light, and then there was light. That's power. As we've gone through the story, we've read and we've heard and we've seen uh, the power of God. How about how they won the battle of Jericho? They marched, they, instead of God sending an army, he sent a marching band. It went around the, the city and blew their trumpets. That's power. We've seen it time and time again. Then the Old Testament ends, and we're going to start the New Testament in the story next week, and we're going to see the power of Jesus. But it's going to be a little bit different, this type of power. It's going to be the power to stand up and speak for what God, on behalf of God, even though it's going to get him killed. It's going to be a kind of power that says, I would rather show you patience and forgiveness. It's, It's a kind of power that says, I'm going to love you anyway. We'll see the power of Jesus displayed when He heals, and He, lets the, he, he gives the, the mute opportunity to sing and, and the blind opportunities to see and the, the lame opportunities to walk. That's power. But then He dies he goes into a tomb, and three days later, he resurrects. And where does that power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And y'all, we have been living in the time of the power of the Holy Spirit from every day since then for 2,000 years. The Holy Spirit's been showing off. What about you? Some of you in here, and you've seen God's power. Like, you can tell stories of your life and how God has flipped it around. Uh, this Friday night, man, I got to hear all kinds of stories about how God is changing lives through church planting. How God is, is, is engaging with people who are, who are far from him and saying, man, I want you, and their lives flip. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe you're able to tell that story. Maybe you're telling a story about how God cured you. You walked in, and the doctors were like, man, I have no idea how this happened. Uh, but you're good. Maybe you're telling stories about how your marriage was resurrected from the dead. Maybe you're telling stories about how how your son or daughter came back to the faith after years of being gone. That's God's power. But maybe, maybe you're in here today and you're craving for God's power. You're like, man, I've never seen it. I've never seen it displayed in my life. But I need it. Hey, could you guys pray with a couple from our church? She's 21 weeks. She's, got, she's pregnant with twins, and this week they went into a doctor's appointment that, uh, that wasn't so good. Uh, they're forcing her into a hospital bed. She's 21 weeks, and will have to be there uh, in a hospital bed until she gives birth. They're sending her to Chapel Hill this week. You know what we need? We need a group of people like this who are more than just a Sunday morning experience, who will hit our knees and beg God for his power to be displayed. Some of you in here are longing for God's power. Stick with us. We see where it came from. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, that's on the screen. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. I couldn't imagine being one of the disciples um, and getting this. There are 12 of them. There are something like 22 million people. That that gives like 1.8 million people per person to be a witness to. No problem. Got it. Got it. Just Facebook share, sponsored ad. You got it. No problem. Here's what happens. Watch. Watch. God says to these men, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's a lot of, and to the ends of the earth, that's a lot of ground to cover. God, how are you going to do this? Maybe you're asking that in your life. God, how are you going to do this? Watch this. Watch Acts chapter 2 starts off, and it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. All the disciples were together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit had enabled them. Could you imagine? We're sitting here, and then all of a sudden, a hurricane force wind comes through, but no one's hair is moving, no papers are flying. That would be a little freaky to sound like the the... a a rushing wind comes through. And then all of a sudden, you start to speak in a language you don't know. Right here, the disciples stand up and they're getting the attention of all of the people who've come from all over, all different languages. And they're drawn because this dude, this fisherman, this unschooled, ordinary man, man, he knows my language? What's up? I thought, I heard him saying some other words that weren't my language the other day. How is he... Man, and what it does is it draws them to this scene where we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And then power is displayed by Peter. Peter preaches the first gospel message, and he tells them where the power of our hope comes from, and it comes from the gospel of Jesus. So the first thing we need for a spark is power. We, and the power comes from where? Holy Spirit. You all are on now. The second thing we need is the squirrely little wire coming out. We're going to call it a ground wire, just so you can remember how dumb I was with my story. Basically, what we need is we need something that's going to receive the power and pass it on. You guys get where we're coming from this. So Peter stands up. He preached the first gospel message. He stands up with courage, man. He's like, y'all crucified Jesus. Y'all killed. I think Peter said y'all. Y'all killed Jesus. It was y'all. And this is what we see. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And then they said to Peter and the other apostles or the other disciples, they say, what should we do next? Now, there's a lot of talk between denomination or this church to this church to this church about what does it take to be saved? That's what's happening. This is the question. They hear the gospel and then the immediate response is, "Okay, cool. What do we do now? Look, if, you, if you're interested in, in, in what you need to do to be saved, why don't you go to the Bible and see? They ask the question, and then Peter replies right here. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter answers them. It's simple. It won't be easy, but it's simple. Verse 39 says this. Uh, the, this promise, check this out. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Seems like his first church might have been a church for the rest of us. Uh, I love it. So they respond. Verse 40 With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And three, about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Um, here's the thing is if 3,000 people were to say, like, if I were to preach and 3,000 people were like, yeah, I'm in, Josh is the pastor tomorrow. <laughs> Josh, Josh, I'm like, I'm out. I'll, uh, I'll do the computers and the sound. You got to do it. Can you imagine Peter like preaching and then he's like, whoa. This thing works. Friday night, I got an opportunity to uh, talk about Restore Church to some of our supporters, people who help us financially. And some of you were able to go, and it was a great night. Um, but one thing that I was reminded of was two things. For 2,000 years, the Word of God still stands. we're just talking about since Jesus. It still stands and it's still true and it's still changing lives to this day. The other thing that I was more sure of leaving Friday than maybe I've ever been is the preaching of the gospel will never cease. And the preaching of the pure true gospel is what will change people's lives and Peter stands up and he preaches it and people respond. So here's the second part of our thing. If we need people who are going to respond, uh, we're going to connect with the power, then the second one might be obvious to you. But the second thing we need are Christians who will connect with the Holy Spirit. So the second is Christians. Here's the thing. we got power, right? And we got the ground wire. We've got the Holy Spirit and we've got Christians. A couple years ago when I was a pastor at Journey Church in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, a young man came in, uh, young, he was younger than I am now, he was older than me then. He came in and he said, dude, I don't know anything about about the Bible. And I was like, oh, you're in the best church. It's perfect. And so, hey, if you're in here and you don't know anything about the Bible, great, you're in a great spot. Uh, This is the best church for you. He says, I don't know anything about the Bible, and it's like, all right, dude, well, let's talk about where your life is now. So we start to talk about, we get, he learns the simplicity of responding to the gospel, not the ease of it, but the simplicity of it. He says, I want to be a Christian. We're like, dude, that's awesome. Here's your next steps. Be baptized. Repent of your sins. Be baptized and live a Christian life. And he's like, dude, I'm so in, and he gets baptized, and then nothing. He just, I don't know, quit. He was like so excited to pursue Jesus. And then he wasn't. Later, he comes back. I mean, he, he stayed going to church. But then a few months later, he, he comes back and he's like, dude, I, I think I might be done. And I was like, really? That's interesting. Why are you done? He said, man. God's just not doing anything in my life anymore. And then I said, what are you doing with the life that God's given you to allow him to do anything through it? You know, I think sometimes as as Christians, we're like, dude, I want the power. Like Holy Spirit, do something. In my marriage, with my relationships, in my work schedule, my bills are coming in, but not the money. God, do something, please, a miracle or something. And he's like, I would love to, but your life won't let me. Maybe the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything in your life because you're not giving him the opportunity to. I would hate for you to sit down ready to paint a canvas you got all the paint in the world, but the canvas isn't there. And you're excited and ready to draw, and you got your sketch on your paper, and you're ready to go, but someone comes in, and he gives you a canvas that has paint splattered all over. It's going to be really hard for you to do what you want to do on this canvas when there's no room. Look, I just want to step on your toes for a minute, and while I'm doing it, I'm going to stomp all over mine. The Holy Spirit's dying to do something in your life. oh, Jesus died so that the Holy Spirit could do something in your life. But the Holy Spirit's having a hard time doing something in your life when we spend approximately four hours a day on social media. It's hard for God to really, it's hard for the Holy Spirit to do something miraculous when all you've got to do is tap twice. It's hard for for God to do something awesome and incredible in your marriage, more begging him. But you're never home because you're working too much. Your schedule's too full. Ouch. Or once you, you want to build a better relationship with your kids, you, you won't put the controller down or the magazines or the TV or Netflix. You know, I think the Holy Spirit is dying to start a movement here in Jacksonville. He just wants people who are like, I'm yours. Here's my life. Watch it be pure and do whatever you want. God, here I am. Which leads us to the third thing we need to be a spark. See, here's the thing. I bought the light, and, and uh, if, had I bought the light and left it in the living room, which maybe I should have. And left the other remaining light fixture up. Everything would remain the same. Like nothing would have changed. I flipped that switch plenty of times. There wasn't a fire in my face. Thousands of people walked through Lowe's and passed that light up, and it never sparked. Like nothing ever happened. This is the third. This is the third part, and this is probably the most critical and most crucial. Is the power. And the ground source, they have to touch. They have to connect. Uh, That book that I quoted from the beginning is uh, Francis Chan's book called Forgotten God. And it's about the Holy Spirit. And the reason it's called the Forgotten God, it's because he said that most Christians, they talk about God and they talk about Jesus, but they have forgotten the power, the love and the compassion and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so the power and the ground source have to touch. Acts chapter 2, you've seen this before and you will see it forever. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Our whole model of church is surrounded around this. Maybe even just this verse. They devoted Themselves to the Bible, the apostles' teachings, to a koinonia fellowship, to being together and loving each other, to breaking up bread, meeting together, eating together, and doing communion, and to prayer. Which one of these are you devoted to? Any of them? Maybe that might answer your question for the Holy Spirit. Everyone was filled with all at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Lord, do this here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 4-7 says, Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I, I love the second part right here, verse 46. I asked a group of people before I went up to speak uh, Friday night about our church. I said, what do you love most about Restore Church? And they had some really good answers. One of them said, I just love how much we eat together. Hey, dude, it's biblical. We eat together. Right? We're just trying to do what the first church did. They ate together. So if you gain weight at Restore Church, it's the Lord's fault. They, they were committed to being together. And when they were together, man, there's something special about God's people who, when they position themselves in front of the Lord together, at no point in being a disciple of Jesus does it call you to do anything by yourself except to pick up your cross. Living a Christian life is about community. You can't... um, I don't know. It's really tough to be a Christian nowadays, right? Am I right? If it's not, you're just not doing it right. Being a Christian is hard. It's hard enough by itself. But living a life alone and trying it, oh, Satan loves it. But being around people who will pick you up, say, I got your back. I'll fight for you. Um. And then being a part of that, to pick somebody up and say, I'm going to fight with you. Let's, let's eat together. Let's pray together. Let's get in God's word together. And when the ground and the power actually touch at the top of that ladder, it created a spark. And here's, the, here's where it all comes together. When the Christian connects with the Holy Spirit and the power of it, the church creates a movement, a movement that I want to be a part of. Here's what happens. Here's how the book of Acts goes. We just read the first two chapters. Y'all, y'all got to get down with the book of Acts. That was the coolest thing I've ever said about the Bible. Peter and John, chapter 3, they're headed up to the temple to pray together. There's a man begging, and he, he wants to be healed. And Peter stops, and he's like, or he, he wants money. That's what he wants. He wants money. Give me money, 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 money. And Peter stops, and he's like, dude, silver or gold, I don't have any. But the one thing I have is Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And Peter and John do the first miracle after the life of Jesus right there in Acts chapter 3. And he dances and he runs and he worships God. And he gets the attention of all of the people that, uh, that, that wanted to kill uh, Peter and John. So Acts chapter 4, they bring him in and they, they flog them. Uh, they beat him up pretty good and they put him on trial. And then Peter, the Bible says he, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and courage. And he stands up and he says, what should we do? Should we stop preaching because man tells us to? Or should we continue preaching because God told us to? And the Bible says that they saw that Peter had courage. And that they were unschooled, ordinary men. But check this out. But it says, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And a movement takes off. The church continues to grow right there in Jerusalem. And so much so, you know, when things grow, there becomes problems. And there's a group of of ladies who are like, hey, we're getting taken care of. But then there's another group of ladies that's like, we're not and we're being ignored. And it actually becomes this racial thing in the church. The disciples are like, look, we don't have time to preach and pray And take care of this. And so right there in Acts chapter 6, we see the first deacons raised up in the church. They're actually called table waiters. And they care for the women. Well, these men, the Bible says, were filled with wisdom and the spirits. Well, it starts to make some people angry. And so they pull Stephen off. And they stone Stephen. They hurl rocks at Stephen until he dies. And they think, man, we're going to scare these Christians and we will stop this movement right here in chapter 6. Little did they know there are 22 chapters left in the book of Acts. And this was just the beginning. Acts chapter 8 says that Saul of Tarsus stood there giving his approval as they stoned Stephen. But in Acts chapter 8, verses 2, 3, and 4, It says that everyone scattered for fear that they would be persecuted, but wherever they landed, they preached the gospel. And so while Satan was trying to kill the church, his his persecution ended up spreading the church in Acts chapter 8. And then in Acts chapter 9, we hear about this man who stood giving the approval of the death of Saul, who is transformed into Paul the apostle, the church planter, the one who wrote most of our New Testament. And then the rest is history, as they say. And the church takes off. I uh, have here the last page of my notes, things that I said a year and a half ago to our to our team. Things like, Uh, In a few weeks, we're going to see these seats filled with people whose marriages need to be put back together. I said there are going to be people here who are going to experience Christ's love because you offered to bring a meal to a woman whose husband was deployed. I said people are going to to come to know Jesus because you cared passionately for them when no one else did. We dreamed that marriages would be restored. I'm reading what I preached two years ago, that marriages would be restored, that addictions will dissipate and lives will find meaning in Jesus. All because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I see when we put that funnel up. I see people who care passionately about each other, who love God first and then we'll love you through your differences and your difficulties, all because of a small group of people like us decided to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus and to love each other, to, to love God relentlessly, love people recklessly, and love this world radically. Um,